Episode 193 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. The Ground School app contains knowledge and skill videos. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. Avi Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is all about fractional aviation. It's going to be a quicker one. <laughs> I will say that I'm recording this the, the day of and trying to make this in one take to get this out on Tuesday. Uh, work has been absolutely insane, which is kind of ironic. The fractional flying has been so crazy. That has been keeping me from recording this episode. But nonetheless, we are going to do it. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram and make sure to check out Pilot's Coffee. Without any further ado, let's get into the fractional pilot episode. All right. Well, I have some questions from you here. So here is a few questions. We'll read these off. And then we also have some voice questions from Anchor. If you ever want to have your voice on the podcast and ask a question, all you have to do is follow me on Instagram and swipe up whenever I see, whenever you see the ask me a question and you swipe up, create an account, and then you can ask me any question. Your voice will be on the podcast. It's pretty cool and add some fun to it. But here we go. First question is from... I won't say everyone's name, but the first question is from Maddie KM. He says, are your trips similar to airline pairlings or do you get a different crew each time? Sometimes we'll be on a seven-day trip and I'll have five different people to fly with. Sometimes I'll fly with the same person. It's all just kind of like a little bit of a roulette and scheduling. If you get paired up with the same person on the same day and you're going to be out there for seven days, so day one to day seven, then you'll be with each other the whole time. But then you also throw in uh, sick calls, you throw in fatigues, you throw in other things that could split you up. Or this has happened every once in a while, they just decide to split you up randomly. Uh, There's nothing, no hate against anyone. Uh, Nothing bad happened. All of a sudden, Columbus just calls in and has you split up. Here's one. What's a monthly schedule look like for you? A monthly schedule for me, I am on what's called a crew choice 72 that means that I can work 72 days over a four-month period. So it's ironically called the crew choice, but it's technically the company choice because they decide my schedule. I don't really have too much input in it. We do have a preferred bidding system, which is kind of a mystery, but I can put in for days off, weekends off, and they can try to accommodate that around my schedule. But more often than not, it's kind of just, uh, <laughs> here's your schedule, go have fun. And we don't have the flexibility of the airline pilots do. We can't drop everything off our schedule. Uh, when we have a, a week on, if we don't want that, we usually have to PTO it. We can try to what's called a tour slide. So we can slide our tour uh, forward three days or back three days, but that has to be approved by the company. You don't have the flexibility. As of now, who knows if that could be in the future, but as of now, you do not have the flexibility to just go in and drop your schedule and pick up everything else you want. We do have the ability to pick up extra days, but when you pick up extra days, it's not like you can drop another day to make up for it. When you pick up extra days, it's on top of everything and you do get paid really well for it, but you have to remember you're sacrificing off time for that extra money. 
So the difference between fractional and other corporate positions now, I don't know all the differences, but for me personally, uh, where I fly, it's more of an airline. Everything we do is an airline. We have AQP training that, that lets us go more than six months without training every six months and taking specified check rides. It's more of a checking to see how you're doing and scenario-based training. And then we also have crazy, crazy uh, enhanced training, uh, more like an airline. All of our check rides are 121. All of our training is 121. So for that aspect, we are definitely a fractional <laughs> airline, essentially. And uh, another thing is we have such a support. So we have dispatch. We have uh, in Columbus, Ohio, where our headquarters is, it, it is absolutely insane. It's like any other airline you'd ever see. So the difference between us, and I don't know about all fractionals, but us specifically, and I only speak for that, is that we are really an airline that operates as a fractional. Um, some differences can be the people you fly with. We have more pilots. We have 2,500 pilots. We fly different people all the time. We're not just flying one passenger. Our maintenance is top-notch. Not saying other corporate departments aren't top-notch either, but our maintenance is, is unbelievable. Uh, do you see it as equivalent to the airlines? I do. I think that this job will be the best job in aviation. I think it is now, but I think in the next 10 years, it's just going to keep getting better and better and better, specifically where I work. And I do not see it as a job where you come here to go somewhere else. I see this as your major airline. This is where you want to be. This is where you should be. And if you can get in, get in as soon as you can. Uh, we've hired a ton of people. We're going to hire another 300 people next year. And I think another 100 people by the end of the year. So if you meet the minimums, you need to apply and get here as soon as possible. Have you ever had a passenger say, I love the podcast? No, but I've had, well, not in person, but I've had someone message me, keep asking me if I'm flying their route. So uh, he says that he does like the podcast, but I've never done it in person. My base airport, yeah. Do you have a specific base airport or do planes have a specific base? That's a good question. So I am based out of Chicago O'Hare. What that means is they send me to any airplane that I can fly. So that's a citation latitude. Sometimes if there's a plane in Midway, I have to start my day in my base. I have to start my tour in O'Hare. So I take a, I drive myself and park for free at Signature, thankfully. And then I either go to the airline and I fly to a latitude or I take an Uber or Lyft paid by the company and I go to Midway to go pick up a plane. And then from there, just go on. And on the last day, you will fly into Chicago. So they can fly me into Midway or O'Hare, but they have to get me to O'Hare before my, the end of my duty time. So it doesn't matter if they get me to Midway on Southwest, I still have to get paid or the company still has to pay me and find a way to get me to O'Hare before I duty out. And if I, they don't get me to O'Hare before that time, then you get a pretty good handsome reward. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm based at O'Hare and I have to be home and I have to start and end each tour at O'Hare. There's some uh, leniences there. You can say you want to be done in uh, Scottsdale if you have a friend there and you can just call them up, be like, hey, shut me off. I want to be done here, but it's up to you to get home and you can start your tour in O'Hare. You cannot start it down in Scottsdale. You can change your tour. So you can change your base, actually. Sorry, you can change your base every seven days if you want. So that's cool. We have a lot of people that are on sailboats, which sounds kind of crazy, but or RVs and they drive all around the country and you can start your tour somewhere else. How many hours were needed to land your job? I had 3,000 hours. The current mins are 1,500 total time and 250 multi-time. And you have to have your ATP written done. Um, 250 multi is a lot. When I had to be hired, when I was hired here, I had to have 500 multi. So it has come down. I don't anticipate that coming down, unfortunately. So you have to find a way to get multi-time. The benefits of fractional and uh, 121 compared to that, for me personally, I don't want to ever commute. So it was mainly commuting. My wife's in medical school. We can live pretty much anywhere 
in the country. So that's huge. And um, I just don't love the idea of commuting and flying private jets is just more fun to me than flying a, a 737. This question is, as a fractional pilot, do you own a share of the plane and then just fly the plane for the shareholders? We do not own any part of the airplane whatsoever. Uh, so the owners buying the fractions of the airplanes, we are the pilots that fly them around. You can also buy cards. There's other ways to get into being in the back. But as a pilot, we do have no ownership whatsoever of the airplane. We are strictly there just to fly the plane. How do you get involved? Just like any other job. Uh, connections help a lot. But apply 1,500 hours, 250 multi-time, ATP written. Go ahead and apply ASAP. What kind of licenses do you need? Um, it's, it's been asked a lot, so I feel like some people just don't know. Uh, but you have to have your private, you have to have your instrument, you have to have your commercial, multi-engine commercial. This is not a stepping stone job. This is in, uh, your dream job, your goal job. So there's nothing like after this that you need to get additionally to get to the airlines. Everything you need for the airlines, you need for this job as well. So let me go into this. Typical schedules. So a schedule that we have is the most typical schedule we have is the seven on, seven off. You know your schedule for a whole year in advance. You work seven days, you're off seven days. When you're here for more than 10 years, you get four years of vacation. So that means you're going to have four 21-day blocked periods off. Some people bunch those up in the summertime. Some people bunch them up in the wintertime. Or they do one each quarter throughout the year. And that makes them have 21 days off. And when you think about that, it's incredible. I don't know many airline vacations that are like that where you get four of them. You might have one of them where you have a good stretch of days off. But then you're also working seven days on, seven days off. And seven days on might seem like a lot on but seven days off really cannot be beat. It is one of the best schedules, I think, and it's very competitive uh, with pay and especially with our flight duty pay that we have that you can you can make some pretty good money on the seven and seven and the time off is amazing. Um, how many hours do you fly a month? I don't really keep track of that. Neither does the company. It's more of a per tour. So we do flight duty paper, like I said, anytime we fly over 10 hours in a tour. So that tour can be five days, six days, five days, all the way up to 11 days right now. We have some crazy people on 11 day schedule, <laughs> but that's by choice. They're choosing to extend, but typically five days to eight days is a tour. And if you fly 10 hours, you get no extra money, but if you fly over 10 hours, you get $148 for every single hour that you fly. That adds up pretty quickly. So this tour that I'm just getting off of now when I'm recording this is seven in the morning. We flew 38 hours. So if you subtract 10 from that, 28, and you times that by 148, that's how much extra money you can make by flying. Uh, and that's not up to you per se. You don't really have a say over what you get to fly. It's kind of just luck of the draw, but we are so busy right now that there's a lot of flying to be had. How to get into certain aircraft, it's all seniority-based. So uh, we've had a lot of people stuck in certain airplanes for a while. There just wasn't movement for uh, the last 10 years, I'd say. Maybe not so much the last year or two, but um, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, stagnation and now it's all starting to move. So it's all seniority-based and it's all kind of luck of the draw, right time and in right moment. I was just very lucky that the latitude was new and they needed some FOs for it and I was able to be put in that plane. We have some new hires that are getting uh, the 350. We have some that are going to get the longitude, some that are going to get the latitude, but primarily you're going to get the Phenom, Latitude, Sovereign, Excel. Every once in a while, you might get a longitude, you might get a 350, but that will be rare, and I'm sure you will piss some people off. Do you fly the same owners and have owners requested you? I, I don't think they have a system where you can be requested. I mean, they might be able to request you, but there's not really going to be the accommodation for that, strictly just on the, the business model and how busy we are and how we're 
we're constantly moving. This isn't your typical corporate job where you're going to go fly to New York and sit there for four days and then go fly the same people back. You're going to fly to New York, then you're going to do three more legs, and then you're going to have 15 hours off maximum, and then you're going to go do four more legs uh, the next day. So it's not like a, uh, a corporate job where you're bringing your golf clubs. You're not bringing your wife. You're not bringing anyone with you. You're not really going out to, to go explore. You're really going out to, to go fly and make money and then enjoy your time off. And then coming up to, uh, do you often fly the same motors? Every once in a while. There's one guy, we uh, flew all around Canada for all, a whole week. Uh, it's very, very rare. And I do think they can request that at that time when they have a specific block and they can say, hey, we're going to be flying X amount and we want the same pilots because it's just easier for them rather than have to meet different pilots and have different conversations. They just know what to expect and know what to go with. So I, I do believe they can do that. But again, that's above my pay grade. I'm not too sure how that goes. So pros and cons. This is an interesting question because I truly do love my job and there's not too many cons, but there are always cons to jobs. Uh, when, when I say cons, I think it's more compared to where the airlines are right now. So cons are you can't really manipulate your schedule for your benefit. Cons are you're not going to be getting an extended amount of time off. Uh, every once in a while, maybe you can. We have really good fatigue language where if you just are tired and it's too much flying, you fatigue, you automatically get 14 hours off. You can't ask for more as well, but it's usually 14 hours. Uh, so that's a pro. Uh, another con kind of compared to the airlines is you can't really bid for flights. So you're kind of just up in the air of where you're going to go. And uh, that's also a pro for some people. I enjoy that kind of life. I kind of like not knowing where I'm going and kind of any day can bring a new adventure. But if you really don't like scheduled or if you do like scheduled operations and you want to know where you're going, then this is not the job for you. If you want to know that you're going to New York, Boston, Syracuse, Albany, New York, all in one day, four times or five times flying through the same weather, then that's for you. But if you want to kind of have the idea that you could be in New York and you can go to Bermuda, you can go to Toronto, you can go to Jackson Hole all in one day, then uh, this is definitely the, the side of the aviation world for you. Let's take a break real quick to hear from our sponsor, RAA. Not sure how to optimize your benefit selections for 2022? Schedule a free benefits optimization review with an RAA airline specialized advisor before your open enrollment window closes. In as little as 30 minutes, RAA can help you build an open enrollment election plan designed around your unique situation. Schedule your free benefits optimization review with an RAA advisor by visiting raa.com backslash pilot to pilot today. You'll be glad you did. Now back to the episode. Now it is time to get into your questions that you ask through Anchor. Like I said earlier, if you ever want to have your voice on the podcast, you can go ahead and swipe up on certain stories and you can record straight from your phone to ask me a question and your voice will be on this podcast. Now, not all the questions you guys asked applied to this episode. So I only selected a couple questions from this uh, so it could be more applicable to what we're talking about. So here in this next part of the podcast for the next couple of minutes are your questions that you asked through voice. Hey, Justin. My name is Austin. I was wondering if the fractional companies require a four-year degree like the major airlines do. I'm currently in my pilot training and I don't have a degree and fractional is kind of one of the routes I was wanting to go. Thanks for listening. Hope to get an answer out of this. Have a good one. Austin, thank you so much for that question. Uh, the easiest way to answer that question is no. We do not require, nor does fractional corporate, they do not require a four-year degree. Now, does it make you a little bit more marketable? Does it set you apart from other people that are applying? 
I want to say yes. I also have a four-year degree, so I just think that it has a little bit of power and it can help create uh, a little bit more of a uh, marketability for yourself. Now, on the flip side, this industry in aviation in general is all about who you know. So if someone doesn't go to a four-year degree and someone does go to a four-year degree, you have two people. If one person has a connection at that job, they are more likely going to get that job because they have a personal connection with someone than someone with a four-year degree. So it truly does come down to contacts, but if you don't have those contacts, I highly recommend a four-year degree. Now, this is for the world that we live in right now. This could be a different story in five years. So uh, if you are going to college, it's a gamble to not go get a four-year degree, but maybe it pays off. Maybe you save money. I don't know. I'm not the one telling you to get it or not get it, but I think right now where it stands in aviation as a whole, whether you want to go to the airlines or whether you want to go corporate, 91K, I think it will not hurt you to go and get your four-year degree. Hey, Justin. In regard to regulation, why do you like approaches in 91K over 135? Reed, thank you so much for this question. Reed was on the podcast a while ago. He uh, is either at Plainsense or he has moved on to a new job, but he was formerly at Plainsense, so he understands 91K versus 135. But 91K gives you the opportunity to start an approach when the weather is either right at your minimums or even below your minimums. You can legally start that approach on 91 or 91K and you can take it down. And if you can see the runway before your minimums or right at your minimums, you can go in and land. But if it's published in the METAR, the ATIS, and it says that it's maybe you need a half mile and it's a quarter mile, you can still legally start that approach. Where 135, you can't start that approach unless it is right at your minimums or above your minimums. So 91K gives you a little bit more flexibility on trying to get in. And it was uh, created for the the owners in mind and the ability to get your people where they need to get at all times. So uh, I mean, there are some other rules for 91K and I don't have enough time to get into it, nor am I smart enough to know all the rules. Don't have a far aim right in front of me, but 91K offers the ability for you, like I said, to shoot that approach and try to get in. Or 135, you'd have to go to your alternate. Do we have fractional ownership for general aviation? And if not, uh, is it viable to have this for GA either on the near or long term? Thank you. So the closest thing for fractional ownership in general aviation, I would say, is if you are going to share an ownership on aircraft. There's a lot of, uh, I think Mel the Traveler does this with a musketeer. You can buy into one-fourth, one-fifth of an airplane, and you guys share that airplane. You figure out who can fly it when, maintenance cost, everything is shared by the group of owners. So that is the closest thing we have. Is it viable uh, for a lot of aircraft? Maybe. How do you start that? I have no idea. Is someone going to start it? I have no idea. It would be great to have a cheaper option for people to get into aviation, to have an ownership of an aircraft, but I have no idea if that's plausible or will ever happen. But in the short term, you can go into and buy one-fourth, one-fifth, one-sixth of an airplane and fly it and have shared ownership. Hey, Justin. Bailey Davis, Oregonian pilot on Instagram. Us airline guys seem to be a little bit misinformed about the uh, fractional lifestyle. So the important question, I'll get right to the, uh, the punchline here. Why is the Piaggio the perfect airplane for the fractional mission? Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. Someone needs to do their research because there was a fractional airline essentially started just with the Piaggio and it did not last very long. So history has proven that the Piaggio is a terrible airplane for fractional ownership and just being an airplane in general. So I appreciate your question. The first part of your question wasn't really a question, but it was a very, very accurate statement. 
airline pilots have no idea what this side of the industry is. In fact, not many people do understand what we do. They just assume that we're cowboys. They assume that we're just a crazy corporate department. They don't know that we have dispatch. They don't know we have an owner services team that takes care of all the catering that orders our food. We have our own core crew food department that has just set there to make sure we have our food and we are keeping the, the ship rolling and making sure everything is going on time with food per se. But it's really funny to me that, and I just imagine airline pilots at an airport and they see either a QS tail or they see some other corporate plane and they just always assume it's probably, that's a Gulfstream or that's a Cessna. They don't know what airplane is what. They have no idea that you can make really good money and have a really good career there. I just think they automatically assume that every single person in that seat that's flying in those airplanes wants to be where they are. And that can't be farther from the truth. I'd say a lot of people that I fly with, a lot of people that I talk to, they actually want to fly corporate airplanes. They would love to have a career in that. And I just think it's really interesting. And I would love to have a better podcast or a better episode that can educate everyone on what it is. And uh, maybe Maybe I should uh, get someone else on and uh, George Dunn from Aviation Weekends. Maybe we can do a podcast where we fully dive deep into fractional and uh, a little bit more than just as ask me anything that we're doing right now. But it is really interesting to think about how they have no idea what our side is and how it's really kind of this uh, hidden gem and one of the best parts of aviation. Hey, Justin, this is Luke Palipsu. I'm a New York-based student pilot. Love the podcast. Just was wondering... What is your favorite flight duration? Do you like the shorter one and two hour flights or are you a fan of the four or five, maybe six hour flights? Thanks again. Luke, what's going on, man? Thank you for the question. Uh, this changes based on the day and based on how my week is going. I ultimately prefer longer flights, but six hour flights can be very long. That's a long time to sit in. I hate to say it, a little bit of an uncomfortable seat. The latitude seat is definitely not winning any uh, major comfortability rewards or awards. I don't mean to say <laughs> rewards. So I would prefer probably three hours, maybe like two, three hour legs in a day would be my ideal day. Anything more than four legs and I am a grumpy, grumpy person and I'm just not excited. Five legs, especially stuck in the Northeast, I probably aren't going to, I'm not going to be posting too many stories just because I'm not having a good time. Uh, I want to get out of the Northeast. I love to stretch the legs of the latitude, but six hours is a lot. We just flew from San Francisco nonstop to PBI and that was a long leg. Just a lot to look at. <laughs> a lot of podcasts to listen to, specifically um, aviation related ones. So there you go. Good time for that. But yeah, there's not much uh, not much to do for six hours and get a little boring, but I would prefer longer legs over shorter legs any day of the week. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 193 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. If you want more of these, if you want more Ask Me Anythings, uh, I think there's more more of a space for these. I think that we should do these more often, have a more structured Ask Me Anythings, maybe do Instagram Live, uh, IGTV, something like that where we can get this going. But uh, keep asking questions. I love to shine light on this side of the industry and I really want to get more in depth and really promote it more because I truly do love it. I think fractional aviation is the way to go. I love where I'm at. It is in my opinion, the best job in aviation, and it's just going to continue to get better over time. So we're hiring. Get in now if you can. Uh, I don't actively say where I work, but if you know, or if you have any idea, go find it. Come here. Come join us. It's a great place to work, and it's an amazing side of the industry. But Aviation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.